sheet on that. It's, uh, it's time to go back to school. Amen? <clears throat> as, the young, as the young people in unison say. <laughs> and all the parents... All the parents quietly are throwing their hands up in glee. And the grandparents that are raising kids, there you go. Well, I thought I would, uh, I thought for the next few weeks I'd capture this idea of returning to school, but uh, on the premise of returning to God. Oftentimes, we put God on a shelf, we put God on the back burner, and then at a certain point we seem to turn back around and, and get back to Him. I just want to talk about that for the next few weeks, about returning to God, getting right with God. I want to take those thoughts from the book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah's a, a great book with which to take that from. And uh, today I want to give you six indicators, six signs that perhaps you need to return to God. But before we launch into that, let's uh, raise our Bibles and uh, share our phrase that we do in our prayer this morning. I'm a child of God. I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's that prayer. Lord Jesus, today, would you speak to me? In Jesus' name, amen. Now high five, pound your neighbor, encourage them in the Lord over there. That's important. Amen, 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 amen. Jay Leno uh, talk, late night uh, talk host, talk show host, uh, as good as he is and as good as any of them are, they'll never beat Johnny Carson. But, but Jay Leno followed Johnny Carson, so there you go. But he does a man-on-the-street interview. Have you, any of you seen those? They'll ask him some interesting questions. And uh, one night he uh, collared some young people and he asked them the question about the Bible. And uh, Jay Leno turned to a young man and he said, Who, according to the Bible, was eaten by a whale? And this confident answer came back and said, Pinocchio. <laughs> I'm afraid some in the church need to return <laughs> to, the, to the church and get close to the Word of God again. In February 1891, the Star of the East was whale hunting off the Falkland Islands and in the South Atlantic. They were pursuing a large sperm whale. One of the two boats was capsized by the whale, this huge whale. The hunters went on to kill the whale, but feared two of their men had drowned. James Bartley was one of the fishermen who was missing. The crew mourned at the loss, but they also had a tremendous task preparing this giant sea monster. They worked until midnight removing blubber from this 80-foot-long, 80-ton fish. That's a big fish. The next morning, they hoisted the whale's stomach onto the deck, and to their surprise, they saw movement in that stomach. An editor, a science editor from the journal, Das Debats, he investigated the incident. He verified that James Bartley was indeed the reason for the movement in that whale's stomach. And when the stomach was cut open, Bartley was found unconscious. He was bathed in seawater and placed 
in the captain's quarters for two weeks, confused and mentally disturbed, yet in four weeks he had fully recovered and was able to recount his experience. And for the rest of his life he carried the scars of a bleached white face, neck and hands from the whale's gastric acid. While we have a good reason to believe that story because it's a historical statement, there is a second miracle in our scripture that adds to the credibility of a story like this where we read of Jonah, the prophet of God. Honestly, it reveals his personal failures in this book. But to some extent, we believe the prophet because we find ourselves oftentimes in his story. And that's what I want us to talk about over the next few weeks. We live in an information-based society. A society that's full of indicators. We have weather indicators. I was grateful that the roof got on before any rain came. So we wouldn't have any leaks on the roof. There's economic indicators. We live in a time when the economy's in the tank. It's tough to live out here, isn't it? All you got to do is drive. When did you think you would ever drive by a quick trip and shout hallelujah and honk your horn when the gas was $3.45 a gallon? <laughs> well, that's what we're doing, aren't we? Well, let's line up before it goes up. <clears throat> you know, they'll jump at 20 cents overnight, but trickle it down a penny or two at a time. And boy, we're just sitting there with bated breath waiting for that thing to drop another penny. I'm not going to fill up till tomorrow because it's going to drop another penny. Here we go. Economic indicators. And then we're in that great season of political indicators. Who's the best? Who's the finest? It'll be a hard choice, isn't it? Period. Always is. You have to let the Lord guide your heart. When you elect somebody, when you nominate somebody, when you do, you've got to, you've got to get to know them as best you can. But there are those political indicators. Our cars have indicator lights. Cindy has one in her car that says service engine soon. And it never goes off. Every time we service the car, I think that light will go off. It never goes off. I keep saying I just serviced it. I can't service it anymore. And we took it to a mechanic and he said, oh, don't worry about it. Well, don't worry about it. Why is it on? It's an indicator. I would love a person driving in front of me who's going to turn left or right to indicate to me what they're going to do. Wouldn't that be great? You get up to the light and you're ready to go and they're turning right and you don't know. It's that little lever on the side. You push it up or push it down. It's great. It works wonderfully well. There's times you want to reach in their window and help them. You can't be preaching out there now. Close it up. But you know, I want us to take a good look at this backslidden preacher, Jonah, and see what we can pick up. Six indicators that you need to return to God. Indicator number one, found in verse one, we ignore God's word. But notice the phrase in verse one. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. We read these verses earlier. Just go back, open your Bible. You should be at Jonah chapter one, verse one. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. It reminds us that God constantly tries to speak to the hearts of His people. He constantly tries to do that. 
And perhaps we should ask, has God spoken to your heart about any area of your life? But really, the, the greater question is, God has spoken, not so much whether God has spoken, but are you listening? God's speaking all the time, but are we listening? We often don't want to listen, do we? We often want to shut that off. I don't want to hear it, don't want to hear it, don't want to hear it. Teenagers are notorious for this because when two people who love them more than anybody in their life, called a mom and a dad, want to give them guidance, want to give them information, want to give them help, want, they don't listen. Those teenagers go, they're stupid. <laughs> These old people don't know anything. Why should I ever listen to them? I'm telling you, they don't know. that they, they lived so long ago. And then something happens in your life that they told you was going to happen. And what do you do, teenagers? You run to your mom and dad and you fall down before them, prostrate on the, fall, on the floor in awe and in, and, and, and in for, seeking forgiveness and, and in repentance for doubting any word they would say. Bang, wrong answer! <laughs> no. Just because they were right, you sit back and fold your arms and get, well, they were lucky. Yeah. And you know what's really funny, teenagers? Your mom and dad did the same thing to their mom and dad. Oh, oh, they've lied to you, have they? They lied to you and said they didn't do that. They always listen to their mom and dad. Barf right now. How do you think they know so much of the stuff that you're getting into? Mm-hmm. Been there, done that. Probably deeper than you are. And they know. Oh, they know. But one day, it'll be great. My day came when I got to Bible college, young people. My day came. It was time. It was laundry day at Bible college. I'd opened up all the new underwear that I had. My mother always took care of that. She washed that stuff, folded it, put it up. I didn't know you had to do that. I just figured it was always there. I'd go to my drawer, there's nothing clean in there. I looked in the dirty clothes hamper and it's full. So what my roommate, he goes, well, you gotta wash it. He'd been a Marine. I said, oh, well, so I've gotta get involved here. So I have to wash it. Well, I pulled out my coins and I'm in limited funds here. And he says, he said, I had to wash this stuff. So I just threw it all in there. The whole dump, the whole thing. I just put all my colors, all my whites. I just put it all in there. And I heard hot water is what really makes it clean. Hot water. Load her up. Go back to my room. Everything's good. I pull the stuff out. I didn't pay any attention. I throw it in the dryer. I go back to get my fluffy smelling good clothes, right? And all of my underclothes are no longer white. Some of my shirts aren't the right color anymore. I'm flabbergasted. And for the first time in my life, I realized how smart my mother was. Because I never had 
unwiped underwear in my life till I got to college. And when I told my roommate what I'd done, I thought he was going to die from laughing so hard. He said, the only reason I'm laughing so hard is because I've been there, done that myself. But you know, if I would have just listened to my mother as she was trying to teach me things, I might have learned. There's two reasons when God speaks to our hearts we tend to ignore Him. Number one, we don't like what God says or what He commands. We don't like it. Imagine how Jonah felt when he heard the Spirit say, Go to Nineveh. Now, he, he didn't like that at all. Someone wisely observed, Sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. <laughs> when Christians drift from God, they typically, typically begin right there when they just don't like what God says or what God commands. The second reason that we tend to ignore the Word is that we don't love it, we don't love the Word as we should. We're not excited about meeting the Word in the morning. We're not excited about talking to God. When's the last time you spent some time just reading the Bible? Not reading at it, reading the Bible. Spend some time with the Word of God. How are you going to grow? You expect me to grow you? I can't grow you. I cannot force feed the Word into you. You've got to pick it up and eat it. If you're still a baby, I've got to force it into you. But then you get upset because I'm force feeding you stuff you don't want to listen to. So, I love it because when Kelsey was here for a week, she now she can hold her own bottle. It's fun to watch little babies grab that bottle, isn't it? Misty would feed her the other stuff, the peas and the carrots and all that stuff. But then she would hold the bottle up like this and shake it, and, and Kelsey would go. I mean, she was hungry and thirsty for that bottle. And she'd just hold it down there, and, 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 and uh, uh, Kelsey, seven months old, she grab, sucking that milk out of there. I love it. That's the picture of the way you and I are supposed to be. Whenever somebody comes along and they hold the Bible up like this, you're supposed to go. <laughs> but what do we tend to do? Well, now I didn't bring mine with me today. Preacher says, open the Word of God. Well, I, we got one under anywhere close here. I didn't happen to bring mine today. How in the world are you going to grow in the Lord if you don't bring a Bible? Well, you're in a different translation than I am, preacher. Okay. And does that stop you from opening yours? Are you with me so far? What if Jesus showed up at your house today? You're going to have to find your Bible to put it on the coffee table so that he knows that you believe in the Word of God? Oh, no, I've got one of those uh, coffee table Bibles. Oh, you do? Yeah, it's big as a horse's leg. Well, put it on there. It's even got a reflective picture of Jesus on the front. If you hold it just right, he's knocking on the door. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what does it say in there? I, well, 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 I, I don't really understand that. How come? Well, I, I've just, I've just, I've, I, 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 are you with me? Are you with me so far? Yeah. How in the world are you going to grow if you don't ever open this book? See, you can be like me. I tore my thing off so you think I read it a lot. That's what you do. You just tear that off of there. You just take your little sharp knife and just cut it right off of there. And people are like, oh boy, he must read by looking at the thing. I even go through and mark all over it just so you'll think I really read it and study it. I just mark all over. I got things circled in red, of course. That's Jesus. 
We don't like what God says and we don't love it as we should. Charles Schultz consistently provided and for helpful and humorous insights through his Peanuts comic strip. In one, he, in one that he ran, he showed Charlie Brown's sister, Sally, struggling with her memory verse for Sunday. She was lost in her thoughts trying to figure out what it was, and she, she was trying to recall it, and she says, well, maybe it was something from the book of reevaluation. <laughs> Boy, never truer words said, huh? <laughs> Never truer word said. Ignoring God's word is an indicator that you need to return to God. Indicator number two, we harbor hidden sins from our past. Verse two. You may have heard this story, but it's so funny. A drunken husband snuck upstairs quietly, looked in the bathroom mirror, and bandaged the bumps and bruises he'd received in a fight earlier that night. He proceeds to climb into bed, smiles at the thought that he had pulled one over on his wife when in the morning came. He opened his eyes, and there stood his wife. You were drunk, weren't you, last night? Well, no, honey. Well, if you weren't, then who put all the band-aids on the bathroom mirror? <laughs> you ever tried to hide a sin? Maybe you did it for years, but you've never confessed it or tried to apologize for it, and instead you hope to sweep it under the rug, hide it in the closet. Maybe the sin was committed against a loved one or friend. Maybe it was an act of pleasure-seeking I know Russell told me that uh, several nights at CIY, the kids uh, began to open up uh, uh, struggles in their life. You know, that's what a conference like that will do, won't it? It just touches you. And when it touches you, then you've got to share where you're touched with somebody. Amen? That's what church should be like. Amen? When God touches you, you ought to let somebody know about it. Hallelujah when God touches you. When you're struggling, you ought to let somebody know about it. You ought to be on your knees and praying about it. That's what that cross is up here. And if, and if any time I'm preaching, if any time we're singing, if, if God starts tugging on your heart, get up here to that cross and get on your knees. Grab hold of that cross and cry out to God. It'll be all right. Somebody's, somebody may say, well, they'll think I'm crazy. Good! <laughs> Good. Because Peter says we're a peculiar people, so that's okay. That's all right. But you know what? We can't hide sin. Jonah harbored a hidden sin from his past. Look at the phrase in verse 2. It says, go to Nineveh. He hated Nineveh. He was prejudiced. Any of you prejudiced? Nineveh was the capital, capital city of the Assyrians. They were inhumane people. They scoured the earth, according to Nahum chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. They scoured the earth. They were ravenous people. The Assyrians had a strict take no prisoners policy. They just killed you. They didn't care. They just wiped you out. They'd even, it says, pull out the tongues of their captives. And then they skinned them alive. Man, that's a fine looking bunch. Well, let's negotiate with those Assyrians now. What kind of a negotiation are you going to do? You better get your arms up, amen? You better get your fighting, you better get your sword out, at least. And when they left a conquered city, they piled the skulls of their victims outside the ruins. Oh, There's a fine bunch of folk here. I believe we ought to have potato salad and baked beans and chicken with these folk here. I bet if we just offer them a little bit of food, they'll visit with us. Yeah, after they've cut your tongue out. Glory to God. But it's just 
like Jonah. The man whose name means dove had grown popular as the prophet that denounced the Assyrians. And now he feared he would lose credibility with the Israelites if he went to preach the offer of grace to the Assyrians. Do you think terrorists need Jesus? That's the only thing that'll save them. Allah won't save them. Muhammad won't save them. See, they don't want to talk about Muhammad sleeping with teenagers as a prophet. But I'll take you to John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the and no man enters the Father but by me, Jesus said. We should all remember Numbers 32, 23. Be sure your sin will find you out. If you harbor a hidden sin, it indicates that you need to return to God. Indicator number three. We need to, we need, uh, we neglect, we need not neglect our evangelistic responsibility. Again, in verse two, when he told him, go to Nineveh and preach against Nineveh. God told Jonah to go do that. Most people know that the Jews are God's chosen people. But have you ever thought about what they were chosen to do? See, they were chosen to take the knowledge of God to all the world, to every nation. And when God called Abraham to become the father of his people, the Lord told the patriarch, out of your seed will the nations be blessed. God entrusted evangelism to his people. And now the church is under the great commission of our Lord. We have the responsibility to carry the gospel to the world because the Jews quit doing it. It's our job now. He's engrafted us in according to Romans 6. We've been engrafted in to the tree. And so you and I ought to be about the business of evangelism. What does that mean? That means what do we have? We've got a nice poster over there. When people read that, they go, wow. Seek and save the lost. I don't know any lost people. Liar, 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 pants on fire. What do you mean you don't know any lost people? You ever knocked on the neighbor's door who doesn't go to church anywhere? You work with a bunch of them. Ah, they don't want to listen. I've tried. Keep trying. Because you never know the one day that when you ask them, they may respond. Amen? Hello. <laughs> you know what changed Melinda Edwards' life? The night the, she went with the young people to the nightmare. The thing that the Guts Church puts on at Halloween. She said for the first time after she viewed that, she said for the first time, she saw what Jesus went through. And she saw what hell looked like. And she said, I don't want to go there. Guess where she is today? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have to share our faith. This story of Jonah illustrates the redemptive work of God in the world. There's three phrases in this verse. He said, first of all, you see the name God mentioned. Simply there, he loves the world. And he sends us to that world. 
The love of God is available to the wicked, to the vile, as well as to the civil and the self-righteous. Another phrase you see, or word is Nineveh. The Syrians represented the unconverted that desperately need to know both God's love and their impending judgment. And folks, those outside of God will go to hell. They will. Unless you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you have surrendered to His Lordship and called out on His name, been baptized, wash away your sins, connected with the death, burial, and resurrection of God, for baptism helps you do. You're lost. And there's only one destiny you have. And then there's the, the, the third word is Jonah in that verse, and that prophet represents the one who sent who's sent to share God's love. Each of us are Jonas. And our indifference to the loss is an indicator that we need to return to God. Indicator number four, we decide to deliberately disobey God. Look at verse three. And notice the single word, however. Jonah knew exactly what God required, however. Instead of listening, he decided to willfully disobey. Disobedience is a gentle word for rebellion. For some reason, we have come to believe that God is willing to bargain with us over His commands. He said we are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that He's commanded us, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. That is a command, folks. Where are you at on that? Where are you at on that? Well, now, we have paid professional, highly paid professional people that do a much better job than I do. So flipping what? Does that abdicate you from the responsibility? Mm -mm. Not if you're going to be a Christian. Not if you're going to be one of his. You cannot get out of the commandment. It's the same commandment. He says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So why do you skip the Lord's Supper? I'm so grateful that our practice here is we do it every week because I need some time with him every week, don't you? I'm grateful we do that. But he commanded us to do it. You're just going to skip it because you don't. He says, don't forsake the assembling of, the, of yourselves as the habit of some. Well, you're just going to skip church because you don't want to go? I'm not going to get nothing out of that anyway. He's too loud. He's too, he's too boring. Okay. So won't you come preach? Uh, not my gift. I don't have that gift. Mm. But you see, the bottom line is that we deliberately obey God when we throw in the word, however. You see, some of us have a call on us. And some of us know that call. And God does not negotiate with His commands in our life. You might say, well, I don't want to be baptized. I just want to call on the name of the Lord. Then you're not completing the process. I believe Him. That's all I need to do. That's all I need to do. In so many churches, they have you raise your hand. They have you say a sinner's prayer. The problem is that sinner's prayer is not in the Bible. It's not there. Okay? Nothing wrong with the prayer. But don't make that sound like it's Scripture. You see. Because 
the water of baptism does nothing for you if your heart hadn't changed. <laughs> what good is the water going to do you? I can hold you until the bubbles quit coming up. That ain't going to help you either. <laughs> you see. Because until your heart's changed, until you've got tears of repentance, it's not going to do you much good to hit to the water. <laughs> you better get that heart right. Because he's looking for hearts that are clean, hearts that are pure. If I testify, I believe in God, but then qualify it with a however, then you need to return to God. Indicator number five, we run from our calling. Again in verse three, look, Jonah got up to flee from the Lord, it says. Those words are even more stark when we remember that Jonah was a prophet of God. Three important phrases in this verse. To flee. That shows irresponsibility. Running from God. When it comes to our calling, the Christian can find himself or herself in one of three situations. Number one, never started. Number two, started but quit and making excuses. Or number three, going strong in service. That's, that's, that, that's where you find yourself. Never got started. Started but now make excuses and now I'm going strong in service. Some people believe that they cross a certain threshold in age that they now can retire. They don't have to work for the Lord anymore. They can just sit in church, they can give their money, and everything will be fine. It's time for the young people to get involved. Wrong, 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 wrong. Till you're six foot under and can't breathe anymore, then you can retire. Till then, you should serve, 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 and 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 serve. Well, I can't do what I used to do. Fine, find something else to do. Charlotte Grove. Never forget Charlotte. Many of you know Charlotte. Some, been, most of you don't know Charlotte. Charlotte played the organ here for years, 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 years. Charter member of this church told me. Got into her older years, into a wheelchair, couldn't, couldn't get around. Looked at me, she said, I'm worthless to God. Hello? How can you be worthless and useless to God? She said, well, I can't do what I used to do. I said, right, but what can you do now that you couldn't do then? She said, well, I have time to pray. Woo! Off go the signals. Amen? And I asked her, I said, would you pray for me every day? Until the day she died, she prayed for me every day. That God would protect me, God would challenge me, God would look after me and watch after my family. I will never, ever forget her prayers for us. You see what I'm saying, folks? Don't tell me you can't when you really can. You, most of you talk on the phone. Most of you do. Some of you even get on the internet. Hello? So don't let age be an issue. Don't let age be an issue. We need, we need adopted grandparents for all of our teenagers. Because guess who they won't talk to? Their mom and dad. Guess who they might talk to? You. Guess who they need to hear from? You. You need to put your arm around them, hug them. Hey, you know what? They did a contest. They've been going all summer. Have you guys been all summer with that thing? That, that whatever he did this morning with you guys? That's been most of the summer, hasn't it? Yeah. Challenging about Bible characters. Scott Keithley won it. Marlo was second. And, and Chris Bowman was third. Is that fun? Now, they had to know Bible. How many Bible characters were there? 30? 30 of them. I bet I could throw out some names. and You wouldn't know what the, what the answer is. Now, he's going to challenge some of us in the contest against these teenagers. I said, I said, Russell, don't do it. I'll whip him every time, man. He said, Pastor, you can't play. <laughs> See, they'll stack it against us. I know what they will. It's all right. I'm just excited they're learning the Word of God. Tell me about David. What would you learn about David? Not David Lord, but what would you learn about King David? <laughs> we don't want to know what you learned about David. What did you learn about King David? One of you teenagers, tell me. What would you learn? 
put him on the spot. They don't know. He was the king of Israel. He slayed the giant. I gave you an easy one. My goodness. I could have said Marhar Shalahazbat. Huh? <laughs> He's one of Isaiah's sons, has the longest name in the Bible. Marhar Shalahazbat. Okay, here we go. What does that have to do with it? Anyway, let's go back. That was your commercial break. Now we're back to the message. Here we go. He says to flee in verse 3. Irresponsibility. Second phrase is to Tarsius, which shows the insanity of God. There's times when God appears insane, doesn't he? Because he asks us to do things. He asks us to go through things that just look insane. Why do I go through this? Why do you need me to go here? I know this person doesn't like me. Why should I go? I don't want to go. I don't want to talk to them. But he sends us. What is Tarsus in your life? Where has God called you to a Tarsus that you didn't want to go? And has your rebellion stopped you from going? So to flee to Tarsus, and then look at the third phrase there, from God shows the, or the impossibility of running from God. You can truly escape to some Tarshish from God. Not really. Because just when you think you've won, just when you think it's going to work out, they'll throw you overboard. Let me give you some questions. What has God called you to do? What has God given you a passion about? Where are you supposed to do it? And when should you do it? See, I heard call, God's call to ministry when I was a teenager, when I was in high school. When I graduated from Bible college, I became the pastor of a small church of, of uh, uh, 15 people in southern Oklahoma. I walked into that church with all, the, with all the pomp and circumstance of a Billy Graham. I stood behind that pulpit preparing for the first Sunday that I was their pastor. And I just knew that because of my eloquence of speech, because of the opportunity that I had before me, that that church house would be full on Sunday morning. We had 10. I preached my heart out for a year. Got ready for an evangelistic crusade in our church. I asked the elders of that church to call everyone in the church. I had three elders. Two of them looked at me and said, what do we pay you to do? I said, uh... Um, uh, call people? They said, exactly. We don't need to call anybody. You, however, need to be calling everybody. Well, obviously, I was way over my head. Way over my head. So a year later, I got a call from Tulsa, Oklahoma. And Memorial Park Christian Church asked me if I could, would be interested in being a youth minister and worship leader, to which I knew God called me. I said, oh, Absolutely. And for the next 14 years, God placed me in ministries, three or four different senior ministers that could help me learn. I think every preacher should have that opportunity instead of just thrusting them out there into the middle of nowhere and hope they handle it. But you know, when I had God's call the way I wanted it to happen, God had a different way. Now, had I not listened, I wouldn't have been in the ministry today. But I'm in the ministry today because I listened. What about you? What about you? What about you? Neglecting your call is an indicator that you need to return to God. Then number six, lastly, we regard God's, we disregard God's correction. Look at verse five. 
in the midst of the God-sent storm, Jonah had fallen into a deep sleep, it says. His sleep is a metaphor, a good metaphor for, for spiritual indifference. Some people today are so asleep that they completely miss what God is trying to say to them. And in the next few weeks, I'm going to talk about that. And I want to address that further. But we must remember that the Lord disciplines, according to Hebrews 12, 6, He disciplines those He loves. So how do you return to God? How do you return to God? John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, discovered grace and forgiveness through humility, honesty, and confession. John Newton signed on with a slave ship leaving from Africa with its cargo. He was an experienced sailor navigator, but his cursing and blaspheming turned hardened sailors' ears red. And soon the ship was caught in a horrible storm and was taking on water. The crew had to pump 24 hours a day to stay afloat. But the constant wind rocked the boat so much and so dangerously that the sailors had to tie themselves to the deck to keep from being swept overboard. And at one point, several of the crew tried to throw John Newton overboard. They figured that God was punishing him like Jonah of the Old Testament. The captain declared that the only way the ship would make it to safe harbor was by God's power. So he commanded everyone, including John Newton, to pray. God, if you're true, Newton prayed, make good your word, cleanse my vile heart. After four weeks of storms, constant brushes with death, the ship limped into, into an Irish port. And John Newton, a former free thinker, former slave trader and atheist, declared his faith in Jesus. So much so, we know him for writing that famous hymn, Amazing Grace. Father, we ask you this morning, as we've looked a little bit at our life, realized that we might have come up, come up short in some ways. I'm asking you, Lord, to move in the hearts of your people this morning. Father, there's a falling away that all of us experience. Some of us go pretty deep in that falling away. Some of us can put on a front and everyone around us thinks we're just doing great but you know better so Father I'm thankful of the lessons that you taught King David in Psalm 51 that if we'll but come to you and seek you and repent that you will restore double joy into our life. We can truly feel the burdens lifted. We can truly feel the understanding and presence of your Holy Spirit. And Father, this morning, if there's anybody in this room that just needs to return, would you give them the courage to do that? Some may need to come forward and just say they need prayer. We'll sure receive that. There may be others just right where they're seated or standing in a few minutes as they cry out to you. 
Father, would you just respond to them? There may be some in this room who've never, ever, in their whole life, ever said yes to your son Jesus in, in the matter of salvation. And Father, we, just, we need to spend some time studying scripture with them. They don't need to make a hasty decision. They need to make a committed decision. And that takes time. They need to learn. They need to understand. But yet in an instant, your Holy Spirit can come. In an instant, you can bring salvation and hope. And in an instant, you can lift burdens. So, Father, whatever need is prevalent, whatever need is here, would you respond in those lives? In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing this hymn of invitation. God's prompting you to move. Would you do it?